fresh off my return from Las Vegas, where the Hempletic Podcast made its presence known. From Flamingo to the MGM Grand. Oh boy. Fish to the Disco Biscuits. Brian Lane danced his face off. All fueled by... Oh, was that my cue? Because Weed and water. That was the cue I was oh, waiting right. for. Well, so that's a strange voice everybody hears. It's a new, new addition to the podcast, but not to my life. His name is Robert J. Pye, otherwise known as Bob Pye from Rochester, New York. Woo. He is now officially part of the team, everybody. He is my researcher, writer, and mentor of mine since uh, the age of eight, 16 when I met him. Um, he was a supervisor uh, at Friendly's in Greece, New York, where I had my first official job other than a paper route. Bob was a little bit older than us and had a knack for getting alcohol for the younger crew, but wow. providing a safe haven for all of us as well at a safe apartment. Uh, it was always fun, but he is a mentor of mine as a writer. I, I was a journalist for 12 years, if I haven't mentioned it before. I wrote for the Palladium Times newspaper. That's a daily newspaper in Oswego and a weekly newspapers here in uh, Rochester, New York, Messenger Post newspapers and Wolf Publications, formerly known as. I would not have had those jobs if it wasn't for what Bob Pye helped me with in my high school years as far as formulating a journal and writing and organizing my thoughts. Him and Rick Woodson were two huge contributors to that. So I'm honored to have Robert J. Pye as a researcher and part of my team. So thank you, Robert. All right. Thanks for having me. Secondly, the most important today conversation is about one of the things, accomplishments that I reached in my life that I believe I want to talk about because I did it while I was using cannabis regularly. And I would do 100 mile bike rides, training with a group of guys. And I was fortunate to have one of them call in tonight. Him and his wife are salt to the earth people living in Penfield, New York. He's a salesman, high energy type A personality, cares about everybody, always looking out for others, always has a smile on his face, a cooler full of beer after every race, offering it to anybody around. Now, I was trying to think of, I like to tell everybody how I meet people, and I don't remember the exact moment I first met Matt Kelman. We were in the same circle of triathletes here in Rochester. It was back in the early 2000s. I want to say 2003 to 2005 probably is when we linked up, and I don't remember the moment. I'm, I'm hoping Matt might have a better memory of that, but Matt's born and raised in Rochester, New York. He works for Pitney Bowes right now as a sales rep, and he worked for with excuse me, my uncle, uh, who recently passed, um, Joseph Driesler, who was a director of customer service at Pitney Bowes when he passed recently. And because of that connection and what Matt has meant to me, Matt and his wife have been mentors to me. Matt provided me a bike that I needed to train with before I jumped into the Ironman, which I did in 2011. Matt and his wife both have completed Ironman competitions. Matt is one of those guys that can jump anytime, running anywhere, and run a five to six minute mile like nothing. So I introduce Matt Kelman. Well, thank you very much. And that's a heck of an intro. <laughs> I mean, every word of it, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, really a pleasure for me to, to be here and join this, um, this movement that you have created. Um, to, to, it is inspiring to see your journey. Uh, as a friend of mine, and uh, I, I'm a, it's really and, and to meet your your circle that you have around you these uh, these talented friends of yours that uh, are taking this new medium out, uh, spreading the word um, of all these positive things that you've done in your life, 
Um, the tie-in with cannabis is with his new cannabis movement is is sweeping the country, and we're very pleased to see that. And uh, you know, um, you know, speaking about you and I and our initial connection, right? Um, sometimes you know people in life, or you meet them one time, and you make that, hey, hey, that's a guy I want to hang with, and that's how I I, I uh, really kind of remember Brian, uh, my first connection through through one of our great friends. Uh, who hopefully can join us on, on one of these podcasts or, or we'll, we'll, we'll follow him maybe even today. Um, a, a wonderful Ironman, uh, Dan Giblin. But we got together, uh, started seeing each other at races, first and foremost. I think, Brian, you already mentioned that my wife Karen and I, uh, we quickly got into the race scene and went all in, right? So we, we started showing up at every race, right? Every 5K, 10K, uh, triathlon, you know, half marathon, full marathon, and and quickly set goals, right? Because we were very goal driven. Uh, type A, as you mentioned, uh, sales career and or director career. Um, it's kind of just born into my personality. But um, not exact race, but I remember that uh, the life of the party kind of scene, right? Inviting everybody back to the to the tailgate in the truck. Open up the cooler. And, so welcoming uh, Brian, to anybody, too. It didn't matter first or last, uh, whoever it was, right? It yeah, doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. Just a person, right? More the merrier. And, and my wife belonged to uh, Moms in Motion, right? So there's one group there. We had tied in with different groups around Rochester. There was different running teams. There was triathlon teams. There was just people we met at races. And so Brian and I, I think that, that kinship really kind of grew right there. I was like, yeah, where are you going to be? Who are you going to be with? Always quick to introduce each other at different events and and then i think really brian the the real journey starts and i think that's what the core of the conversation is about iron man iron man is not about the day you show up in lake placid and and leave it all out there for swim bike and run and and you know and and it's all measured right because you start at the starting line when the cannon goes off in the water and you swim that 2.6 miles or you get on that bike and and ride, you know, that ridiculous 112, and then you still have that full marathon in, in, in Lake Placid, New York, where you're climbing up and down hills and, and you know, in front of, you know, ski, ski jumps and such. You know, it's not about that day. That day is, is the, you know, reaching that pinnacle, reaching that accomplishment. And Brian, I'm sure you'll share that there's nothing like that, right? That's a that's a, a life, a life thing, right? That's yeah. a, more than just a bucket list thing, but that's really something that's special, right? It, ch- it changed for me. It changed the way uh, I look at life as far as what I can accomplish. What I, when I put my mind to something, what I can accomplish when you put it's 18 months. So if you're going to do one triathlon, it's basically an 18 month cycle leading into that Ironman triathlon. You've done multiple mats, so it's a little different for you, and I'm sure you'll get it. We'll let you get into that, but I totally agree with you. It is a life-altering experience, but not only the physical piece. Uh, for me, the minute I did that race, and it took me 12 hours and 23 minutes in 2011. That's the only one I've ever done. It was. Now I realize I have energy that can go forever because I've learned how to manage it. I've learned how to own it. I've learned how to nurture it through nutrition, through cannabis, through water, eating right, being healthy lifestyle. Uh, so I have taken that from that. Now I've taken that energy since 2011 and I've just let it fuel me for you guys. How many have you done overall Ironmans, Matt? Well, we did, I did four in a row. So I was kind of bitten by the bug, right. And kind of got into the, 
let's do this and let's keep going back and let's keep going back. And, and the Ironman distance is one of them, right? And there's a great picture of you and me and a couple other guys in the water right before the cannon went off in 2011. I would love, love that, that picture, photo. by the way. I've never, I've never yeah. seen that picture. I would really, truly love that picture. Yeah, uh, please, a great so one please of us don't forget. Down the, yeah, the water in the morning, because that's it ominous. Like, <gasps> what are we about to do? You know, it's like, oh, you know. It's and tell everybody what time in the morning that is, Matt. Yeah, that's, uh, well, that's before this, the cannon goes off at 7 a.m. So you've got to get down there. Uh, before the sun comes up and you're, you're you're at your nutrition and you're in the you're the porta potty and you're nervously walking to the to the edge of the cold lake, but uh, you know I I say that's the that's the pinnacle that's the day that's the day that you get to celebrate that's the day you finish this race you get that medal they call you on the the microphone from uh, Mike Riley the voice of the Iron Man calls you across the the Olympic Oval and in, you know in iconic. Olympic Oval right there in Lake Placid and says, you are an Ironman, you know, and calls out your name. And, and, and as Brian said, that, that you've got that badge of honor and that probably that tattoo for the rest of your life. But it's, it's those 18 months, right? It's those rides. It's those miserable Saturday mornings where it's raining and you go down there and you meet Brian and Gibby and two other guys and you start riding and you're, you know, you're like, Ugh. How long is this going to be to go around Canadagua Lake? You know, are we doing 75 today? Are we doing, oh, and somebody's saying, no, we're doing 85, you know. And so we just got to, we got to ride and we got to swim every weekend down at the lake. We got to run the mileage and, and, you know, all of that buildup is where the character comes in, right? That's the, that's what really is the Ironman experience. The Ironman's, you know, cool to go up the Placid and run it that day, but uh, it's really about those, those nights and weekends. And, and for my wife and I, we did them, uh, two of them in the same year with two, two babies at home. Right. So, uh, our kids were under four when we did two of them. Um, pretty amazing for her, I would say more so her. <laughs> no, for your whole me. family, but you have such a supportive yeah. family. I mean, her family is so supportive of this and, and you guys have a good network to help you with this. It wasn't like you were leaving kids alone, like with babysitters, like, Oh no, my mother was here and we always give her the most credit because she was here every weekend. She's, I have a mother that has come out to my home every Friday night for uh, almost 13 years. And, uh, and they gave us that ability to get up on Saturday mornings and go out for, you know, long bike rides or, or runs or whatever was necessary. And, and, uh, so people you know, don't realize an Ironman is a seven day a week training. You're not talking about, you, you can't train five days. It's, it's a six day week, usually working with a rest day or ha explain that a little bit. So they, I mean, I don't know how you guys did it all. I, I had two young kids as well. I had a very supportive ex-wife at the time. And this is one of the things I want to bring up. I apologize. I'm going to interject a little here, Matt. One of the reasons why Matt and his wife were so incredible is I went through a divorce. The reason why I started doing triathlons and marathons was because I was at my ex and I were going through our divorce. Uh, it was a very amicable divorce. Uh, we have 50-50 custody. We, she, her new son, th her son now that she currently has, thinks my family's his family. I play golf with her husband. It's a very special relationship with her and I. But during those 2004, 2005 uh, was the toughest part of my life. And Matt and Karen helped me get through that. Uh, so how the heck did you guys manage like the two kids, everything else? And you're a salesman on top of you. Didn't you own your own business at that point, a print company, Matt? Yeah. So at that time I owned DPI. So, you know, that model is what? That's the first guy in the parking lot and often the last guy to leave. So there was a lot of, a lot of balance that had to take, um, Taken into consideration, and again, it's, it's uh, there was a lot of you know the family support. The goals were there, 
Um, and, and really a lot of it is about sleep dep- deprivation because you're willing to get up at the, you know, really early and get, you know, go over to the Y and swim laps at, you know, as soon as the doors open, you're the first ones in the parking lot. Yeah. You got to have that. If you don't have that, then, you know, they, these things don't come together, but uh, we were very fortunate, very blessed. Uh, but it, it was about the community. One of the things I found is in Brian, you know, I think you'll, you as you remember, we started putting together the early Facebook groups or the text threads so that like on a Friday night, I'd be getting, you know, we'd have a dinner with the family and I'd be getting, you know, eight or 10 different text messages coming back and forth about what time we're meeting, where we're meeting, when do we leave, you know, do you, can I borrow a tube for my bike? Uh, who's got this? Who's got that? And eventually it just got down to say, Hey, this is where it is. We, we leave every Saturday morning at 6am. This is the parking lot. You're here, you're in. If not, that's right. So all there was a core. How many core core people were in that message stream? So I was thinking about that the other day, Matt. Yeah. So we probably probably had six to eight that were you know really steady, and it it varied from year to year. So you were in for 2011, so you were in every week, right? And then if you weren't going to sign up for Placid in 2012, well then you might have popped out of that. But that's right. I was yeah, I was in that cycle from the end of 2010, uh, and and my mom passed right about then. Uh, So that was on and off where I was able to train with you guys. But 2010 to 2012 is the time period I was right with you guys in that training. Absolutely right. Yep. Exactly. And then doing all the multiple the, the races. I mean, to your, your streak at SOTUS is very impressive, right? I mean, that's of all the people that I have raced with and raced some of my favorite triathlons. I would put SOTUS up there uh, in, a, in a, certainly a top five for me. And to see that you have had, you know, the largest streak or the longest streak of anybody in the Rochester area um, was, is great. And it was always like a go-to, just knowing Brian was going to be down there, right? And, and always, you know, pop out to the cooler afterwards or run over to Panama, Panama Jacks or whatever the place is. No, yeah. Shamrock, so, so. And he, what he's referencing is the Sodas Point sprint, sprint Triathlon. And this is the only thing I can honestly say that I hold dearly, that I'm the only one who's done it. So the Sodas Point Triathlon took place from 2004, and I started doing triathlons in 2003. 2004 to 2016, I finished every single year. Uh, I well, my best place was fifth overall. My worst is 41st. And the last time I ran, I won my age group two years ago. Um, and I didn't miss a race. And I'm the only person who didn't miss a race. And that was the same weekend as age group nationals were in Wisconsin. And I qualified for that four years in a row. And I skipped at that all four years because of the Sodas Point. I wouldn't want to ruin the streak, number one. One year, my cousin and my father actually offered to drive me uh, from Wisconsin and to do the, I think it was the Olympic age group nationals. So I think it was held Saturday and the sprints Sunday. I think that's how it worked. So they were going to, yeah, after, yeah. the, after the Saturday one, they were going to drive me back so I could make sodas on Sunday. Uh, but I didn't feel like putting them through that to drive through the night to get me back. Cause it would have been like a <laughs> yeah. two hour window to get back to sodas to do both. And I didn't want to put them through that, but they actually offered uh, because that's how important sodas was to me too, as well. So every time I would finish sodas, I jump in the lake, clear off. I'd go run my gear down to my car. I'd come right back to find Matt Kelman's car with his cooler beer and me and Tim Dwyer and Matt Kelman and whatever the other people were there that day. We sat on the beach, usually or right next to the beach and had a couple beers and enjoyed everybody's company for about an hour, hour and a half afterwards. Always hang out, you know, and spread the, you know, yeah, exactly. Just chill and, and, uh, celebrate those, those, uh, that accomplishment of the day. And, and you were always there for another reason. You, you picked up an age group award every year that I was there that I recall, but, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. 
And uh, Boston, you did Boston as well, correct? Yeah, that was um, 2006 and 2011. I did Boston. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so I, I, yeah, I remember us all being down there in 11 as well. So we had. How a, many uh, years did you do Boston, though, Matt? So right now, um, uh, I've done 15, and next year will be my 16th. And this weekend, I'm going to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania to run the Harrisburg Marathon. And my goal is to get a Boston qualifier for 2020. So that, you know, talk about planning ahead, <laughs> you know, it's like, as I've gotten older, I've gotten wiser and I'm like, okay, I go get a qualifier and I put it in my back pocket. So that way, like this year, 2018 Boston Marathon, we had horrific weather. It was like North, nothing short of a nor'easter. So as the weather was really tough for us, um, I didn't hit a qualifying time for 20, uh, 19 or 2020. So I said, ah, I'll get one later in the year. And uh, so that's what I'm doing this weekend. How many total marathons have you done? Do you have a count or have you lost count? No, I've, I've, I've done 68. And what year so, did you start? So I started um, in 2000, fall of 2002. I went to uh, my, my wife now was my, my girlfriend and she came to me and said, Hey, do you, I want, she told me, she goes, I want to run them. I want to qualify for Boston. And I want to, want to, I want to go to Chicago to do it. And I said, well, I run 5k, 10ks. I don't know. But a marathon was on my bucket list. Right. So I said, okay. I'll oh, so it was a mutual you. bucket list for the two of you. Yeah. So I said, oh, I'll, I'll train with you, but I was training for her qualifying time, not for my qualifying time. So, um, I was fortunate enough to, uh, we, we qualified, we went to Chicago we, and she got her qualifier by like 90 seconds. It was close, but she got it. And, uh, I was able to get in on a charity group that was from Rochester. Um, and they said, Hey, we got, you know, you can, you know, raise a couple bucks and get a bib from us. And so we were able to go together and, uh, and that's when the streak started. Uh, 2003 Boston marathon was my first one. And uh, it's been consistent ever since. So, that's amazing. So, so let's talk about the first about how old are you, Matt? Uh, 54 now. So this weekend I get a little bit of a break. So I'm looking for the 2020 qualifier, which means I'll be 55. So I, I, every year Boston, for those that don't know you, it, it, the way to qualify for Boston is going by male or female and then by age group, every five year increments. And as you get older, they give you more, you know, the, the time, five gets more minutes, more is it five more minutes, five, Extra five, five more minutes, minutes right? five yeah. extra five minutes. Cause you know, when you're a young buck, it really hurts. Right. You, so when really I had to qualify for Boston that. folks, just to reference this, when I had to call qualify for Boston, I had to get a three ten fifty nine technically to qualify when I ran Rochester in 2005 and qualified. I technically ran a 311.23 and submitted, a, you know, told them I went down at center field, told them I went down 200 yards from the finish, got picked up, walked across the line and missed the qualifier for 24 seconds. And they entered me into the 2011 Boston Marathon, even though technically I didn't make the qualifying time. So that's my story, how I got it, Matt. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Yeah. Back that, but yeah, now now it's gotten to be so crazy. It's 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 tough, and that's what I want to tell people. So basically, Boston Marathon for everybody out there who kind of knows marathons but don't. Boston Boston Marathon is considered the Super Bowl of marathons. So to get into the Boston Marathon is very competitive. Number one, you have to get qualifying times. Number two, but you could have a qualifying time and still not get in because it's so competitive now. That's how good the runners are. Uh, so yes. is that right? You're seeing an increase. How, how it's a much harder to get in now, correct, Matt? So this year, uh, four minutes and fifty eight seconds. Almost five minutes 
under the qualifying time to guarantee your spot into the race. So you could qualify, but if you were not a solid five minutes under your qualifier. So yeah, that's, that's become very, very challenging. And I, and I will say since the 2013, um, the, the year of the bombing, um, there has been a, a actually more people want to be in this race. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, and my wife and I went in 2014, it was extremely inspirational. Um, you know, our experience with the Rochester running group, um, being there at fire and ice in 2013 was, was, was surreal as being part of, uh, you know, a uh, domestic terrorist type of upper, you know, th- uh, incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it was really, you know, so what has it brought us, you know, a, it's brought a tremendous amount of friendships of running and triathlon. Um, and a lot of it's just from the miles and miles of training we do together, um, in camaraderie, right uh but also experiences travel experiences uh as well as as events like like boston um you mentioned tim dwyer dan giblin you me and others i mean we've we've gone to these races we've shared hotel rooms we're always good for a pint of beer afterwards um and now it's going to be a little easier because uh i don't have to drink beer i can just uh hang out with brian and uh weed and water we can, baby weed we, and water we can we can weed and water, and call <laughs> weed and water. <laughs> so let's let's talk about a little bit um how i want to go back to your history a little bit it's a good segue so first of yeah. all uh you were born and raised you i think you're a hilton high school graduate in rochester new york is that correct yeah i'm an old hilton guy yeah it's a, it's a west west side town it's a uh, was once time the home of the world's largest apple pie. That'll give you a little context. That it's a, it's a farm fields and apple orchards and uh, a lot of wrestlers, right? So I grew up in a family of wrestlers. And uh, people ask me now, hey, were you always a runner? And I'm like, no, nah, no. Nah, uh, my running started as a way to uh, get in shape for wrestling, right? Just to build some endurance and shake off some summer pounds, get ready for the wrestling season. And I, my older brothers are wrestlers, and one of my older brothers is a pretty darn good runner. And we had a bit of a reputation. Uh, we, we like to run, and uh, we like to uh, go out to the orchard, and uh, we like to indulge in, in what we could grow in our own backyard. So we were early adopters of Grow Your Own. I, I can remember uh, we, we had an old, uh, an old farmhouse, and uh, it'd be, it was interesting that uh, – you know, if you're watering plants and there's a tin roof, uh, tin ceiling in, in, the, in, the, in the water, the, buck, oh, you, the buckets might leak a little bit. And then uh, my mom's like, hey, I see something dripping in the ceiling up there. It's like, uh-oh, we better, get, we better take care of that. <laughs> we can't let mom go up there and just investigate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stay out of our closet, mom, you know. So, so you so, wait, yeah. this, is probably, this is probably like generations, though, within your family that probably did this, right? I mean, this, they're, they're, he's right. This is a big farming community. They have a great apple festival, Hilton Apple Festival. If anybody's in Rochester in the fall, it's a great, fun experience. A lot of good farming family community out there. Um, so uh, did, what age, uh, I'm sorry, what weight group were you as a wrestler? I'm curious about just a little bit how you were as a wrestler. Well, yeah, well, I, I was 138 as a senior, you know, so you probably weigh, you know, 10 pounds more than that walking around and, you know, uh, throughout the year. So, um, you know, I'm 155 now, wear the same size jeans as I wore when I graduated high school. 
Yeah, uh, me too. That's so funny. Oh, man. (laughs) So 31, 32 is my high school jean size. And I just ordered jeans for the first time in like eight years because now I'm an empty nester. My kids are growing. I can afford clothes again. So everybody's asking me that I had 10-year-old jeans and they were right. So I ordered some 31, 32. I'm so happy. That's my high school waist. Yeah. Wait, wait. you've had clothes since you were in high school? I know I've had what I'm saying is you know when you're when you're raising kids you can only afford so many clothes so you end up going to Goodwill uh, you end up going to find scavenged clothes and you know but my waist size is always 32 33 especially when I did the Ironman mat I was a, l- a little overweight I noticed in my video I was probably 32 33 inches then but I think I was worried about making sure I had enough fat on me for that race um what let's talk about the Ironman in itself did you think it's good for your body bad for your body why have you migrated away from it is it because of the training schedule or do you feel like maybe it's not as healthy on your body as it should be what, what's your opinion on the Ironman on your body yeah that's a great question you know um there's two two factors of why Karen and I don't do Ironman um part of it is as the kids got older when they were little and they napped you know, half the day, they're kind of like cats. Cats, what? Cats sleep 70% of its life. Something ridiculous, right? Mm -hmm. So kids, when they're little babies, they sleep a lot, right? And it's easy on grandma and we come and go. And, you know, that was, they didn't have to go anyplace. Now they're extremely busy, right? So it's nonstop. But the other part was, uh, yeah, physically, uh, and really the, the, what was known as the half iron, the 70.3, is our, is the preferred distance. It's what we like. It's I always tell everybody you can mix. It's a perfect mix of professional, personal, and having you know a really high achieving goal. Um, it's seventy point three. So that's the half iron distance because I can still do that and train you know six to eight hours a week, right, and still go out and get it done. Whereas you know. At Ironman distance, you 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 got to be serious. You got to be fifteen plus hours a week of training time, at least. And, and I want to give big cheers out, please. Like cheers, Justin. Please give me the biggest applause cheers possible because Matt just said exactly what my belief is. I th- oh. I believe the half Ironman distance is really perfect as far as a uh, half half marathon so a half Ironman versus an Ironman just so everybody knows is is 1.15 mile swim I believe 56 mile bike and then a half marathon continuous so usually that race can take you uh, 5 to 8 hours 5 to 9 hours in there the elites are probably doing it under 5 hours more like 4 4 hours 4.15 maybe but that distance is really my favorite to train for as well. Cause a mile swim is basically if you go, if you're Canisius Lake or if you go to Canandaigua Lake, the North shore, that's basically swimming the buoy line at Canandaigua Lake and back. Right. Isn't Matt, isn't that about a mile if I'm not mistaken? That's a, that's yeah. You can do a mile swim right there. So that's a Friday night mile swim. You can get up, you can swim, you ride around Canandaigua Lake. That's almost the perfect 56. Uh, it's a little more than that. So that's a great training. And then, uh, you know, you're training for your, your half marathon. It all comes together. You'd be done, Without strain on, you can still be at the family party. You can still be over, you know, you can still make church on Sunday. You can do whatever you want to do. You don't have to be full out, right? You, right. you can still have life, right? So, yes, and that's great. Let's talk about the north end of Canada Lake because it is a hidden gem here. It's part of the Finger Lakes of Rochester, New York, Western New York, and it's south of Rochester. And for me, from Rochester, it's about a 30-minute drive, 32 miles from door-to-door around to there when I used to work at the around, or excuse me, Canada Post Office. Shout out to the USPS. 
uh, post office. I worked at that building. It was right next to the lake there. But what it has is a buoy line where boats are not allowed to come in. And then master swimmers are allowed to go there anytime, no charge. You just tell the lifeguards, I'm a master swimmer. You go in, you veer to the left. There's a little... Um, gazebo type thing where you can put all your gear. It's very trusting. You don't have to worry about locking up. Nobody steals anything. You go swim the buoy line and at all times you can touch the, the, the bottom of the water and see the bottom of the water. It's very clear. So for those of you who have not need open water training, it is very ideal in Rochester for open water training. And Friday night is a big night. Why don't you explain that a little bit, Matt? Yeah. So the Friday night crew, we call the date night. So my mom would come out here, Karen and I would scoot down there. We'd meet up with Brian and a crew and we'd swim the buoy line. So we'd throw on our wetsuits right there in the, in the gazebo and in the lawn right next to the gazebo, drop into the water. Everybody swims their own pace, do a loop or two and come back. And then we'd head up to uh, one of the Irish pubs right there in, in, uh, in Canada. we have a little date night or one of the Mexican plays and we'll find a place and, uh, you know, have a pub, you know, have a beer and a burger and, uh, they don't get home in time for, uh, you know, a good night's sleep. So I'm ready, ready to get out and do it, something crazy the next morning. So That's right. And usually uh, the next morning is something. And then Sunday morning was usually, I worked at the post office. So I was six days a week a lot. So these guys are very nice to me. I know they always trained on Saturdays, but on Sundays was the long ride day for, through the three years that I trained with them. And I'm going to tell Matt something he's have never known before. And you can contradict this story. So that's why I want to tell it with you on the line, Matt. A lot of times our long rides were from Matt's house. So Matt and his wife would tolerate us showing up undoing our bikes off the cars, everything at like five, five 30 in the morning. It was early five, uh, five 30. I think six was the latest we would meet. Uh, and we'd go from Penfield down around Canada, wake up back. And he was saying that earlier, it was about 75, 80 miles with a ton of Hills. Good hard ride. I mean, we would hear the rooster crow in the morning on the way out. So we kind of went sideways before we went down. And there was always this farm where this rooster would crow as we were approaching. It was like the coolest thing, my favorite thing in the morning, Matt. And I was high. I always did bong hits before I went on this long ride. And if Matt's going to say if this isn't true, but I was the climber out of the group. I could oh, always yeah. I yeah, climb yeah. everybody on every yeah, hill. Yeah. I, I, like there was not a time I couldn't. But then on the flats at the time, I didn't have a Savelle, my P2 Savelle carbon bike that I have now that my dad bought for me. I could never afford it myself. But I had a steel frame Stowe triathlon bike built in the early 90s, I believe. And it is not the most aerodynamic bike. Most of these guys have carbon bikes but i would out climb them all always and then they'd catch me on the flat and then we'd get to the hills and i'd hear go ahead brian go climb uh, is that a pretty act and i so matt i was high every one of those rides before i got there dan oh, would pick me classic. up yeah so just so you know <laughs> so i cannot wait to tell i wanted to tell giblin that so bad that every time we got in the car together come out to your house and sometimes i wouldn't drive with him because i wanted to get high right before i got out of the car i wouldn't even drive with him even though we lived like a quarter mile apart and drove the same drive i wanted to get high on the way so yeah, every oh, one of those a, rides, I was high, man. That is so classic. And, and you know what? Yeah. And I always just say, wow, he's got that roadie. He's got that old stow. He's just going to just zip to the top of the hill and, and we'll catch him on the other side. But, uh, you know, you were fueled by more than just uh, that, uh, that old steel bike. You were like going on. So, yeah. So, Good stuff. Well, so you're, I was the climber, right? Is that, I just want to make sure that oh, part's absolutely. clarified. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and sometimes we'd, we'd, you know, we'd joke around because the, um, you know, the road bike, Ge you know, geographic uh, geometry uh, sometimes lends itself to uh, climbing up hills or going down a little faster than these these tri bikes that are all TT bikes and made to go, you know, long, flat, straight, you know, kind of thing. So, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, super athlete. You know, and I and you're a bit younger than me, so I just kind of like, oh, I'll let the young guy climb the top of the hill. We'll catch him on the other side. 
Yeah, and that's how it was. It was like it was like a it was like a rubber band, right? I'd, I'd go out, and then you guys yeah. would catch me and go out and catch me. Uh, but it was great because I think that really helped my training doing those the sprint work like that too. So, and oh, you yeah, guys always definitely. pushed me, and I had to do that, guys, because these guys, if we just went out and I rode the hills with them, they would finish the whole ride ahead of me. Like I would have to do that to stay ahead of these guys. To be honest, I had to take yeah, advantage yeah. of being well, a climber because generally speaking, people that you talk about the Tour de France stuff like that, there are people that are naturally sprinters, there are people that are naturally climbers. What what do you consider yourself, Matt? A sprinter? Uh, well, no, no. I mean, I think that I'm just more of that long straight, you know, I like, you know, and it's, that's why I like that 70.3. I mean, there are certain courses and I think you and I have been to a few of them. There are certain courses that lend themselves and that's why you've done so well at SOTUS. SOTUS does have uh, a couple really, you know, a couple, uh, a couple of hills that get your attention, I call it. Right. Yeah. They're not or huge. Lake yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. Or Lake or Lake Placid with some of those steeper hills. So hill climbers, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, it really, for me, it's, it's not so much a sprinter or a climber. It's really about a being a grinder. Right. Mm-hmm. So the, the long distance stuff just seemed to, you know, um, you know, what, would you rather do a 5k or, or would you rather do a marathon? Right. Yeah, so, absolutely. So you're more, I would call you then if someone from the outside, you are the time trial specialist. You're that guy who goes out just to yeah, get the miles in and get the best time. Down. Yep. Uh, so time trialer, yes. And that's a lot. So he did, men- Matt did mention, from for those of you that aren't savvy to biking, uh, there's two style bikes. It's a road bike or a triathlon bike are two different styles, which means it's configured differently. So a triathlon bike is configured a little bit so it saves your legs for the run afterwards. So it's configured a little more straight up versus a road bike where it's a little bit, the main post is a little bit tilted back because it's not worried about you riding afterwards. Did I dis- describe that accurately, Matt? You are spot on. Yeah, it's a little different, and it's uh, the way it's set up, and and, and you're riding differently, right? So uh, uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's just a lot of fun. I mean, and it's the whole journey of uh, of doing this stuff, right, Brian? It's it's it is pretty and cool, it's, and it's the relationships. I mean, I like you. You guys are friends for life. Like every time. So I want to go into this a little bit more. So Matt and his wife are phenomenal. You hear all the things they've done, but their kids are just as phenomenal. Like their kids. At times, uh, you know, I've said hello to them, talked to them on many occasions, uh, and sometimes they look happy being at races, being being there with their parents, and sometimes they look tired, like like it was mu- too much. But yet now I see them in their lives now, and I believe your daughter's active. She's, I think, equestrian and uh, skier and does a couple other things, and your son is very active. I think they both have done kid triathlons. I mean, tell a little bit about those kids yours. They're phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. You know, as, as a parent, right. You, like you with your kids, right. As I watch them, as they got older and moved on and now they're young adults. Um, it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's your pride and joy. It's what you've, you've said, you know, you've, it's everything. Right. So, they, you know, they're just, you know, we lead by example and Dan Giblin was a great one. He's like, I don't push my kids to do anything they don't want to do. Um, they say what they want to do. And then we did, my wife and I just get up every morning. She's, you know, teaches spin class at 5:30 AM. So we just get up and do our thing and they see that we've already worked out in before breakfast. And I think that's important. And that's all we, we share with them. Um, but their own thing is, you know, my daughter, you know, little girls and ponies, right? So she wanted to ride a horse one time and that was at six years old. And now here she is, uh, you know, 13, eighth in eighth grade. And she's a equestrian hunter jumper. She's uh, on the IEA team, uh, which is a scholastic, hunter team, hunter jumper team. So she's competing every week. Uh, she's in the middle of her series. And this evening, I before this uh, podcast, I, I dropped her off at the barn and I'll, we'll pick her up 
as soon as we're done. Um, so she's great and does that. Both, both kids are really into snowboarding. And that's why I love Brian's post because he's got a ton of really awesome skiing and snowboarding uh, adventures going on all the time. So for those of you that are going to be following Brian, follow that. That is uh, my uh, my favorite stuff that he's up to uh, the last few winters. Hey, have your, have your kids do... subscribed to my YouTube channel yet? I'm just curious. Have, uh, have, have you turned on yeah, the YouTube channel yet? Yeah. Yeah, so Jet, Jet is my son, J-E-T-T. He's uh, he's totally hooked on it. He's a uh, big into the, he loves the terrain park. He's got a four-wheeler. He goes to Breaking Free Skate Park, which is an indoor skate park here in Rochester, New York. So he's big in the, you know, he's kind of, you know, uh, I call him my Justin Bieber. He's got a whole studio of music stuff in the basement, and uh, he's into all that. You know, not, he doesn't play ball sports. He'll never, you know, he's not interested in being on the, on the, on a, you know that team he's ready to blaze his own path so i i see a, a lot of fun with uh, with him and we we're having a good time together so it's so all good so we're gonna ski together this winter because i want to now that i have uh, made friends with the whiteface train park manager i want to go up with your son and videotape him through that park up there this year so if you guys have oh, plans to get up the yeah. Whiteface, i want to make sure i'm up there with you uh so you got to listen to make sure you and him together listen to my last episode where i interview aaron cook uh, he will really enjoy it. And I know you guys love Lake Placid like I do. And he yep. is he is a tour guide up in Lake Placid. So he gives all sorts of inside information. And he knows every line at Whiteface. And he has offered for me to be with him on the, all those lines. Oh, fantastic. I would love fantastic. to get your son in the slides this year too, if possible. So so we gotta. I want to see how early we can get someone in those slides safely. Oh, very cool. So, so tell me a little bit. Uh, how? When did you get your kids started snowboarding, skiing? I know. Are you members of a club or a holiday hunt? Hunt Hollow? What, what, give me a little bit. Yeah, on that. yeah. So, so my wife is originally from Plattsburgh, New York, way up there. For those that are, are listening from and taking that look at that New York State map, this is way up at the top peninsula there that uh, touches the Canadian border um, up on Lake Champlain. But it's it's forty minutes from Whiteface Mountain. So she grew up skiing. Vermont and Whiteface and Big Tupper and all those um, ski resorts up through there. We go to uh, a couple of them every year. We, we do a trip to Vermont every winter for the February break. We also go to Placid uh, to Whiteface Mountain every winter. Um, so, so that was kind of, a, you know, as soon as we got together and got kids, as soon as they were old enough, we, we joined a local ski, uh, club here, right? It's, it's, uh, it's Hunt Hollow. We were members of that for several years and that's a great place to start your children. And, uh, but they once you get more advanced, they want to be at Bristol. So, we're, uh, we're at Bristol mountain. It's a 1200 vertical drop. They have their own terrain park. They also have, uh, really cool stuff up there. They've got the ropes course up at the top of the mountain. Um, so they've expanded and done a lot of cool stuff, but um, a lot of snowmaking. So that's close to us. I mean, 45 minutes from my garage door to their drive to the parking lot. So you can't beat that. That gets you down there, get you on the mountain fast and uh, get you plenty of runs in. Uh, we go pretty much every Monday night. Uh, that's our schedule. Um, I got a Monday night pass and they're down there. So that's we'll good to know. Yeah, that's good to know because I was looking for maybe one night to get down to Bristol this year uh, if I can make friends with the marquee manager as I add more footage. But one of the things I want to mention about Bristol Mountain, it's very lucky for us that we have this because between Gore Mountain and the Rocky Mountains, there's not another mountain with 1,200 vertical feet. Bristol is the most. And we happen to have that in our backyard. And, and uh, Bristol, I've said this before, Comet and Outer Orbit is considered one of the best slalom race trails in New York State. 
Absolutely. Yeah, good stop. Yeah, and they have a good train park. They do a good job grooming. The only thing I would say about Bristol that I don't like is there is not one glade, no tree skiing at all. And the only thing I've ever heard of that mountain before, and I'm going to be a little bit negative because I want to push them to open up some glades, is they keep saying insurance, 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 but they are the only mountain I have ever been to that at least doesn't have some tree skiing or glades, so I don't buy that at all. So I would love to push Bristol to add a couple glades because I believe that's the only thing that mountain lacks other than it's perfect. It has steeps, it has cruisers for kids. So is there anything uh, you would like to add about Bristol as positive? Like I love North Star top to bottom run. That's my favorite run at Bristol right now. Well, yeah, well, you know, there's two things, right? One is, you know, the, the one thing about family and skiing. So married with two kids. I didn't have my kids. So I was over 40. Right. And they both have wildly different interests in life. But what's the one thing that all four of us love to do is skiing. What all four of us go up on the chairlift together. We all four of us ski down the black diamonds together. The kids ride together when mom and dad are beat, tired, we're going in. Boom, that's it. We're taking a break. We're warming up. They stay out. They ride the chairlift together. They get along. Fabulous. They look forward to the trips together. Those are memories they'll have for a lifetime. They, you know, my son doesn't want to go to the horse barn. He don't want to see that. I don't like those stunky horses, but he <laughs> loves his, you know, he loves his sister. And he, when it comes to skiing and snowboarding, they're up there. And, uh, and I agree with you. My wife loves the glades. She would love to see some glades in that area, but, uh, there's a fair amount of off the trail trails up there. And I, and I usually think that those trails are made for, uh, those that want to take a little break off on the uh, side of the mountain, get a, take a little smoke break and just relax. So, uh, uh, I'm keeping an eye on when my kids head in and out of those trails. <laughs> there is a, there is a off just wide in North star, a little set of woods, but I, um, I try to really set the example. I'm not trying to go uh, off piste. So I don't want to make the people of Bristol mad. So I try to stay within the lines there, even though I don't. So there's one thing yeah. that I like to do at Bristol that is kind of fun. It's kind of a glade. So maybe you could pass this on to your son. So if you go down galaxy, uh, and the kind of between galaxy and universe, there's little switchbacks, like little service roads back and forth. So my friends and I have realized that you can kind of switch back from universe to galaxy back and forth on the switchbacks all the way down the mountain. And it's kind of a glade. So if you watch yeah, it really hug, that's the one thing I can put together as a glade. I've never been yelled at by the ski patrol for doing that. So when there's really good snow on there and a snowboard, it's kind of a natural half pipe type shape through the whole thing. And it's actually a lot of fun. So that's something maybe you could tell your son and, and daughter to explore a little bit. Wow. So, so I want to, uh, again, I just want to refer back because once you get off the line here, Bob and I are going to keep talking about the Ironman, Matt. So I really want to know impact on the body of your wife and you and what changes maybe you saw when you guys did the Ironman before and after, uh, you know, cause I really want to talk about how it affects the body. Yeah. So great, great, uh, question. So, um, I started off as a, as a runner and really got into the marathons before I really, yeah, I was doing some sprint tries, but I wasn't going for the big distance yet. You know, I did a few sprints and a few Olympics like you did, right? That's where we all started. That's right. Yep. Um, and then, but I had a goal to break three hours in the marathon and I ran 30 marathons and I was close. I mean, real close. You know, you heard my heartbreaking stories, three yeah. hours in 
30 seconds, three hours and one minute, three hours and two minutes, three hours and three minutes, three hours and four minutes, out of my mind. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So for everybody novices, how many, uh, what's a minute mile average for a three hour marathon? So you have to be sub, uh, sub seven minute miles, but you really need to be sub six, you know, it's got to be a 650 pace. It's 645 really is, is really where you got to kind of get down. You got to get under well under that seven minute mile for 26.2. Okay. So, so I was, I was running good seven minute miles. I was coming in at three hours, but I wasn't quite getting it. And then I signed up for the up for Ironman. And I said, I'm going to stop running all the time. I'm only going to run enough to, to, to balance out my need. I'm going to start biking and swimming. And when I put all three together, my body got leaner. My running got better. When I, instead of being beat up and felt like I got more, like, oh, I got these more running miles to do, I was fresher and, and my times just came down. And, and then I went on a streak and I have 17 sub three marathons in a row. And they were basically all based around the Ironman training schedules, you know? And, and once you do an Ironman, Three hour marathon seems easy. <laughs> that's so, right. No, that's exactly know? what Ironman does for you. It makes everything else yeah. in your life it seem like cake. Yeah. So yeah, this is funny. Easy. So I'm, I want to build off this a little bit with you, Matt, because I totally agree that the biking and the swimming help. And that's why I'm actually preaching right now to people. Biking, swimming, yoga are the three exercises you need in your life forever. And you, your body will stay perfect as long as you have disciplined eating habits. So I actually say move away from running, though. I know a lot of people get that euphoric feeling with running and they get their heart rate up quickest with running. But I just think the impact on your legs overall, I think adding yoga and really heavy biking. So my proof in the pudding type is in two 2009, I changed a little bit. I wasn't doing Ironman training. I was only training for half Ironman that year. And I PR'd almost every distance. I'm going to kind of put out what my times were and what my training regiment was. And Matt, I just want, you were there for part of this so you can validate. Oh, yeah. Basically, I was biking 150 miles a week minimum. And then I would do a long ride on a Sunday wherever I could. And I was running three, seven milers. So Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, Dan Giblin and I would run from his house in Aronacoit through Dran Eastman Park. We do a seven miler and about 50, we do about a seven minute pace, seven, 10 pace. So I only ran 21 miles a week, but I was biking 150 to 200 miles a week. And then before every race, I biked 10 miles at like a 16 or 17 mile an hour pace. So I was basically spinning out my legs. I never stretched anything else. And these were my times for that year. 5K, 1742. 10K, 36.44. 15K, which is the Boilermaker, which is an elite, uh, with the best 15K allegedly in the country. I ran three negative splits and finished a 58.01. The Rochester Half Marathon, I did in uh, 123.14. And I did the marathon in 311.23 in 2005, so that was not that year. And then my other was the Sodas Point Triathlon. My PR was a 108.46. So all my, and I, Muscle Man, half, Try half Ironman, which is my favorite distance. I set my PR in 2009 with that regiment. So I never ran 13 miles before this race. Never once did I run three. I ran 21 miles a week. I'm not lying. I only biked. I did a 501.23 muscle man. Wow. Yeah. Great numbers. And I, and I do remember this. I was hoping you would bring it up. Brian is one of the very few people that I knew that would show, would ride his bike to a race. And he would be, and he was, would say, Matt, I feel great. I'm ready to rip this thing and, and just go knock off five and 10 K's after he rode. I'm like, dude, what are you, you know, I'd get there a little bit early and warm up in the parking lot, but he really had a formula 
and it was just part of his regiment. So uh, kudos to you, man. That was uh, I remember that year. You were on fire, and uh, well, you yeah, it's great. Yeah, I biked to my uh, house to the Lilac tra- Lilac Ten K, which is another uh, high end Ten K around the country. Um, and I don't remember the finish on that, but I I was like sixty first or something overall in the Lilac Ten K, and I biked yeah, there and fun. biked home after it uh and that was almost a pr until i ran that 3644 the ironicoite run so that run well, run, all great numbers i mean every yeah, one of those lucky. numbers I, I went wow 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 i so, mean it was great yeah. so ironicoite run for burn victims i was i, I lived in ironicoite for 18 years in a house and so that 10k was like one of my running routes it goes through dranningsman park down kings highway and then comes up through my old neighborhood so that race actually i biked six miles to the start on a mountain bike and then ran that 3644 and I like got yeah. off the mountain bike and started the race like almost instantly. Perfect. And then the Boilermaker, I ran, I actually biked the Boilermaker course the first four miles and then biked back on the course just before it started, got off the bike and went right to the start line of the Boilermaker that day. Now you told me about this, Brian. And I said to myself, I said, I would like to do that too. But then, you know, I have to bring the car with a beer cooler and everything. Yeah, you, so, got responsibilities. you know, how, I mean, how can, how, how am I going to host, <laughs> host race party unless we can, you know, Hey, by the way, Matt's got, done none of this and his PRs and every one of these distances is faster than mine, by the way, Matt is way that, faster than me in every one of these distances for the record. I don't know about that, but it's all good. We no, have a lot no. of fun and, and no, we'll that's have right. More fun uh, this year. No, that's right. So I'm. I wanted to put this out there too. So this year I've decided I'm going to do aquathons heavy this year, Matt. That's going to be because I'm really promoting you know the yoga, biking, swimming. So I'm going to get into as many as the and an aquathon is a um, swim and then a bike. So that's going to be my my schedule for this year. So if you guys are doing long rides, I'm hoping to jump back into that this summer with you guys. Yeah, and uh, I'm not drinking beer anymore, so I'll I'll join you for the post race party. So afterwards. yeah, so why aren't you drinking beer anymore? You've referenced that twice now. I want to hear this. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it just get to a stage where, you know, I mean, the big craft beer movement came in, right, really big, right? So instead of just drinking Mick Ultra, and next thing you know, you're drinking this beer that's like a milkshake or, you know, I travel for work every week. So, you know, I could be, I cover from Eastern Canada all the way down to Miami and everything east of the Mississippi. So, you know, I go to Portland, Maine, Portland, Maine, you know, uh, some of the best hemp in the world up there, but they, they, they like their beer. Like they like their coffee. It's dark and in case like bark, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, so I just kind of, kind of got away from the flavor of it all. You know, like everybody's like the more nitro IPA, the better. And, uh, after a year or so, it just kind of tasted it all. It's like, you know what? Um, just, you know, uh, it's just not my flavor. It's, it's just extra calories and just not, you know, I just don't like, you know, waking up with a headache and, and, uh, you know, let's be honest, you know, it's, it's a lot easier, you know, in the, in the hemp world, it's a lot easier. Yeah. You know, it's just more manageable. Yeah. And, and I want to pick up on yeah. this. So I, I stopped uh, drinking beer a while ago. I, I'll drink, I was an occasional drinker of beer. Um, I have like a case and a half in my fridge. I haven't touched a beer out of my own refrigerator in probably three years. So I do a little bit of wine and uh, I was doing whiskey. Now I'm only doing one, either vodka or wine drink a day maximum. And I'm not even doing that all the time. because so I feel the clear liquids with the vodka is the best with our body because it comes from potatoes. So uh, that's what I'm down to, Matt. So I'm here, happy to hear this. But just the other day, I went to a brewery and, you know, they were brewing everything inside. And I actually got a visceral reaction to being in there to the point where the band was awesome, but I had to listen to the band outside. For some reason, my body had a visceral reaction to the smell, the distinct, strong order of the hops. I'm curious if, if your body's reacting that way, too, with where you're at. Yeah. So, you know, I don't really care for that. You know, I, at first it was like the, the whole movement, right? Every town you go to has got a new craft brew company and that's the rage. 
And I like the outdoor ones where there's a lot of activity. People are playing cornhole or tossing the beanbags around. Or there's that kind of vibe that is more social and more interactive. Mm-hmm. I like that. But the indoor places that are cold, damp, and you got the silo thing there, or the you know just doing that, yeah. it's, it's just just not my vibe. I mean, it's no, great me for others. Some people love it, and that's cool. Um, but you know, since the laws have relaxed, now that I travel more and more states, more and more places, um, it's just uh, you know, as I travel, I cover. Uh, existing sales reps that are in the in the territories. I'm a director, so I cover other folks, and, and most of them are very casual, uh, you know, casual, you know, hemp users. So it's easy. I like to hear it, and I hope everybody's doing a mix of CBD and THC. I'm going to get back to my old lines here because I know Matt's got to go pick up his daughter soon, and I don't want to tie him up being polite and being late for his daughter because his daughter, I'm sure, has waited for him on many occasions. But I do, <laughs> do want to bring up uh, one of the other connections that him and I have. Uh, a special man in my life passed recently. Uh, my uncle Joseph Dreesler, he was that man that would go into dive bars, get PBRs, spend probably ten bucks on PBRs, but yet tip thirty bucks before he walked out the door. And he knew every single person in that bar or bought them a beer probably before he left. Uh, I'm sure you experienced some some personal times with him. Uh, I'd love you to share what your perspective is. I know you've only known my uncle Joe for a couple of years through work. Um, just give your opinion because he he is who I learned how to be a social network and how to do what I do and meet who I meet. To me, I attribute it mostly to him and my mother who are both past. And I believe they both passed that trade on to me. And I, I want to hear just your your connection with my uncle a little bit because because I'm going to keep referencing him in my podcast. Yeah, yeah. So it was just a you know a fantastic connection um, through both professionally and personally. Um, and unfortunately, uh, just as we were really kind of in sync with each other and starting to really work together on a regular basis, uh, you know, he came across you know he had his chance, his, his medical challenges with cancer and, and we we lost him. But he uh, huge huge impact. In, in the company that I work for, uh, in the companies that he worked for prior to joining uh, Pitney Bowes. But uh, just one of those, uh, I was, you know, he took me under his wing uh, as a couple big bald guys. We were having a lot of fun. Uh, and he knew the connection of Brian and I. So that was uh, a super, super, uh, uh, that I had like an inside champion. Right? And, and in your career, as you look for mentors in your life and you look for people that can help guide you, you know, Joe, Joe D was the guy, right? He was the one that kind of said, Hey, steer clear of this guy, move towards this one. You know, he, he, he helped me navigate early in my career, uh, where I'm at. And, you know, you, you, you can never just ask for that, right? Either people are generous and they're generous in their soul and they're generous in their giving. And that's who he was. So he quickly grabbed me. You know, we had a couple lunches together. We were at when we went to us, um, you know, trade shows or anything. He always looked out for me, uh, made sure that uh, that I knew who, where to be and when to be and, and who to be with. And uh, you know, th- that's just a natural trait that he carried, and and uh, and he was very giving in that sense. And I and I will forever uh, appreciate that. And uh, and unfortunately, you know, it, it takes to when somebody passes to kind of get to know the extended family and to meet his children and his wife, and and then starting to see a lot of the stuff that you know, the, the fabulous times down at their lake house. Um, and I think that set in to a lot of us to, to see that he was much more bigger. We thought he was bigger than life at work, you know, then you realize that, that the real important stuff in his life, which was his family. And, and so, yeah, it was a uh, wonderful for me to, to have that and, and Brian and I to have that connection together. So it's, it's, uh, 
Super. And from my side of it, my, my my uncle wanted to know everything about everybody, and he wanted to know who he was dealing with at all times. So he came to me, and him and I had a very serious uh, conversation about Matt and wanted to know uh, about what drove him because, you know, type A salespeople, there's a couple of different kinds. There's Pret Wolves, sh- wolves Sheep, and Shepherds, how I like to describe and in, in every phase of life. And, and, and Matt Kelman is not at all a wolf. Matt Kelman is a shepherd. He wants to help everybody around him. Nothing he is saying in this hour, folks, should be taken as a pretentious nonsense. This dude doesn't care who you are other than what comes out of your mouth. And if you're a good soul, he's going to freaking hug you and be right there with you. And same with his wife. They will do anything for you. Um, and my Uncle Joe, I know why he gravitated to Matt. Him and I had a long talk about Matt. And he right away knew that Matt was a guy who was going to work with and help. Uh, and make sure that they they work together as a team. So from his perspective, he definitely enjoyed working with you. I want to pass that on to you. Yeah, very cool. It was my pleasure. So I'm going to let you go, Matt. You ran over already, and I don't want to be abusive, but we want you on in the future, especially when we get Dan back. So our good friend Dan that we've been referencing, um, one of the reasons we came together to talk about the Ironman is he just completed the Ironman Kona, which was a lifelong dream of his. And I want to talk to him about that experience and how he got there. So I want to have Matt back on when we have Dan so we can talk more about training and the relationships that we've all developed and the stories uh, that we've had through this training. So Matt, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. It was my pleasure. I just love the experience. Love your forum here and I look forward to to connecting with you and and your team again soon. Thank you very much. You're welcome. My sweatshirts were just printed today, Matt, and uh, somehow, someway, I'm going to get you and your wife a couple of my sweatshirts with the podcast logo and I hope you keep promoting me everywhere you go across the country. You got it, my friend. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. A mentor on the phone, a mentor in front of me. This is a really special episode for me, everybody. He sounds incredible. His story is just amazing, and it's just constantly going. He's just got this energy to it at 54. I think that's fantastic. So him and I together at at triathlons, people know how to get us because him and I are like twins. We both got that energy where we're bebopping around. If there's music on, we're the guys that show that groove. So... We're not going to miss our fact fiction or the jury is still out. I think we learned from Matt a little bit what his opinion is on it. I got tried to get out of him a little bit. So the fact fiction is jury still out. We're going to spend the next uh, 45 minutes or so chatting Bob and I. Bob, Robert J. Pye. That's me. Is did a lot of research for me on Iron Man. He was very curious. Robert is not a sports nut. He is a uh, creator. He is a writer. He is a videographer, photographer, phenomenal photographer, absolutely phenomenal. Been to Yellowstone 12 times. We just rekindled. I cannot wait to see all this work from Yellowstone with some of his photography. But he doesn't know a lot about sports, so he did a lot of research. So some of the stuff you learned through, through your research that has intrigued you the most. What do you got, Bob? Bring it to us. What I learned the most about the triathlon? Intrigued you the most. Well, I love the fact that, uh, that this 48-year-old woman started a training session and went on to become the oldest woman at 82 to finish a Hawaiian triathlon. So uh, a woman 82 years old. So the, uh, the, the what's special about the Hawaii Ironman is that's uh, the championship of Ironman. So basically we were talking earlier, the Boston Marathon is the World Series of Marathons and Kona Ironman is the world that is the Everybody wants to get to Kona to do the Ironman. That's where it started, isn't it? Correct. And you remember the year, I think you just told me the other day. It, it bordered between two two different dates that I found in the information, 77 and 78. I think 78 was probably the most accurate in which it really kicked off. 
I mean, the idea probably came about in 77, but it probably came to fruition in 78. So it was a bunch of crazy people. I don't have the names in front of me. Everybody can look it up through Google. But basically what it was is there's different events in Hawaii because obviously living in Hawaii, you have to be crazy and adventurous. <laughs> but there was a long swim, uh, two and a half mile swim uh, race that they used to have every year. And obviously marathons are 26.2 miles. And then they also had this 112 mile. Or I don't think it was 112. I think that's been modified things. I think it started at 100. Um, I don't, we'll let Bob research that one real quick. But <laughs> I don't remember the exact original distance, but there was a long bike race. So then I think at one point they put the swim and the bike together and then they put all three together that one year. And since then, that has been where the championship has been held and where it originated. So that is the origins of the actual Ironman distance triathlon uh, and the triathlon in general, I believe. And then now there's variations. So if you want to be someone that is interested in becoming a triathlete, which or, or uh, do aquathons, then basically what you need to do is have get buy a bike, my first bike. So I started in 2004, like I said, and I bought a $100 bike off a garage sale from a friend of mine. It had little holders for my feet in them, little plastic holders. And so I wear my running shoes and slip them onto there and biked on my little $100 Trek 100 series road bike. And I put some arrow bars on it so I can lean out a little bit. Uh, swimming, the first two years, I didn't swim once except for race day. I didn't drown, so that was fortunate. And then run, running was natural for me, so I just would always run. And I was naturally, I played basketball regularly, so that's how I started into my triathlon. It was a, basically a couple hundred dollar investment. I didn't have a wetsuit right away, and then I got a wetsuit from a guy for a hundred bucks. And the rest, they say, is history. Are you inspired to do a triathlon, Bob? No, not in the least. And how old are you at this point, Bob? I'm 52, I believe. I, see, I tend to forget after a while. Yeah, well, that's called uh, delusional of grandeur. Oh, getting right, older. right. You can't delusional. ignore years. Yeah. <laughs> I, but I do remember you used to bike a lot. Is that correct? I did. I uh, had a giant, and I used to ride back and forth on my bike to work. I lived in Spenceport, and work was about, I guess, 18 miles away. So it was every day, or not every day after school and into the summer. And then I just kept going and going. We actually went biking, uh, mountain biking in a whiteface a few times, taking our bikes on the mountain, to, on the mountain taking it out. That was quite the adventure. Yeah. Without, we didn't have folks. One of the times I was on the mountain with a bike was with Bob Pye and we didn't have suspension on our mountain bikes coming down Whiteface mountain. No, they didn't have suspension. I don't think. Yeah. Well, we could have rented bikes, but we wanted to not rent bikes. So we used our bikes at the time, which didn't have suspension. Hey, I got down good. I was a good, he got down fine. And he had a, a bike that was configured where you sit up a little higher on it. Like it's more of a straight up mountain bike. Definitely not ideal for coming down mountains, but we, we managed and we had a great time. Yeah, it was a rush. We didn't have, do we have helmets? I don't know if we had helmets. I think we I rented think them. We I think they made us rent oh, them. Oh, yeah, all right. I think they made us rent them. Yeah, because that too was not an issue. They didn't really care if you wore helmets on the street. Was... And I'm a little bit happy actually about that, that they're making, requiring that now. So I actually get mad at people when I don't see with helmets on. And, and listen, I understand the right. I'm not going to sit here with motorcycle guys. If I don't want to wear a helmet, I don't have to. Yeah. And then there's a rally with no helmets and the guy in the front of the pack dies. Like that's a true story from this year. Like hits his head and dies. And everybody else is like, it was his choice. Yeah. Hits his, yeah. It's your choice to be a moron and die by falling on a motorcycle earlier than you need to. Yes. It's all an adjustment period. When people see something new and that, that are required to do, they're not going to be more willing to do it. Um, those helmets, you know, 
they evolved. They made him look a lot better. You don't want to drive around with this bucket on your head because you look like, you know, one of the special kids. And so you get used to it and they evolve and the helmets, you know, they're, they're, they're good for you. They are. Thank you. And, and how about sometimes laws and order might be good? What? I mean, not over abundance. I mean, it's day after election day, so I don't want to get too oh, much God, into the whole no. cycle. But law, some laws and order are good if the morals and values of people. And let, let's say, hey, there's intersections, guys. We need lights and intersections and stop signs. Like, Well, you can't have no law and no order. I mean, chaos is not. Well, that's, this is something we don't want to get into. The, the whole. There's nothing wrong with going uh, down wiggle rolls here. Okay. All right. All right. So uh, more about the Iron Man. So how about some more facts that you pulled up? Come on, Robert. Uh, facts. Uh, it seems like the swimming is an issue. I, I didn't want to get into too many negative things or negative aspects of it. Okay. Because I think it is quite amazing that. So officially, while he's going to say this and looking through his notes, uh, there's a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and a 26.22 mile run. That is technically the exact distance. It's 140.3, and it's done. It has to be done in 17 hours. They close the course after 17 hours, generally speaking. I did it in 12:23 in 2011 when I did it. Sorry to cut into you, but I just wanted to. That's all right. That. We'll 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 get back to the darker side of the, the triathlons. The the time period, I found that is interesting. When you keep telling your times, there's a set time in which you can actually finish the race. And I didn't realize it's 17 hours with no break. You get no break during these things. Well, there's technically kind of two breaks. So what happens in a triathlon is there's trans, two transition times. So you start with your full swim regalia. And I hope Matt hopes, I hope he remembers to send me a picture of all of us in the water. But you put have your whole swim regalia on and you start. So different races are, are, are different. Some it's a mass swim start. Some it's waves. And some is time trial. So Lake Placid, it used to be 3,400 people in Mirror Lake at one time starting at once. And it looked like a bunch of black seagulls with <laughs> with arms coming out of the water with wetsuits on. It looks like black seagulls on top of the water. What time of year was that? Uh, it is in July. Okay. Uh, so basically there's a wire that's underwater with buoys. So we'll talk about the Ironman triathlon in Lake Placid because that's my best exp- or my most vivid experience. Each race is different. Like there's the Ironman 70.3 in Jamesville and Syracuse, another great race, very tough bike course, but that's in Jamesville Reservoir where you go out and you basically do a big triangle. That's 1.22 miles. Uh, but with no guides other than there's three buoys that you got to go keep sighting while you swim. But at Lake Placid, it's nice because there's a wire line, like a rectangle. So you actually can go the rectangle and you do two loops. And how many people? So the, it pace. used to be 3,400 people at once all fighting to get to that wire. And then like, so it's spread and then 3,200 people. But now they do time trial. So it's every couple seconds they let swimmers go. So now it's more organized, um, say time trial. Uh, but everyone's different. Like the one in Kona is a one, I believe it's a one start uh, or wave Massive. start yeah, into the ocean there. Yep. So um, it was held, it's held in Kaula, Kona. That's where it's the Ironman Kona championship is. Um, so, Get some more facts. I want to hear some more facts that you got from from the Ironman because I want to make people understand doing an Ironman is a great bucket list thing, but maybe not the best thing for your body. Maybe the half Ironman might be the best distance. Maybe start with a sprint and see how you feel or just do an aquathon and do the things that I say. You just bike and swim your face off and your body looks lean and nice and you can still wake up in the morning with no sore pains that because you use cannabis. Some of the research that I did, it, it, it actually kind of scared me from a Ironman because these people, they're, they're training forever and 
you are so hyped up at the beginning of each race that it actually starts to change your your the the oxygen in your blood and all that and nutrition is a huge issue like gi issues as is a common thing for people mixing sugars so like you a lot of people i went with hammer a lot of successful triathletes use hammer products which give you a line of products that can work together but for those amateurs sometimes they mix and match things and next thing you know they don't try everything in training and then race day they're like oh, i'm gonna do this and this and save for race day and they don't try it next thing on race day they're the ones puking on the side they keep, they're constantly having cramping up because they put too many sugars in their body so i would use hammer nutrition from beginning to end with goo packs and a thing called perpetuum and then uh, a sustained energy and I would can, and basically I had a water bottle full of sustained energy powder mixed with water, and then a water electrolyte, and then salt tablets. That is usually the triathlon's weapons of choice. But if people start mixing those sugars, that's when the GI and other issues that you probably have researched, that's why they come into play. Now, why are you taking salt tablets? Doesn't your body start to develop an excess amount of salt when you do no, these No, you want to try to retain as much water as you can because your body's well, trying to okay. sweat all out. Yeah, that's yeah. the only way to help you retain your nutrients is by using salt to absorb it. Otherwise, the nutrients will run through you too quickly. Okay. Because remember, you're going, I was 12, 23. The fastest people are probably going eight, nine hours. And then people 17 hours, think about what they got to put in their body for 17 straight hours of moving. I, I couldn't imagine that. It's just, like I said, this whole thing is phenomenal. It's, it's, a, it's a commitment. It's like a major relationship. It is a relationship, yes. And for me, it was a life-changing event. And for me, it was a bucket list item. For me, it was to help me soothe myself after my mom's passing, which was a year and a half before that. So basically, I, my mom passed, and I spent 18 months training for the Ironman. It was probably the best for me. Plus, I was heavily using cannabis. And so the minute I finished the race, 12.23, so about 7.30, I stopped and had a quick meal with uh, I'm sorry, I didn't have a quick meal because they wanted to eat. I let them go eat. My family that was there supporting me. I went right back to the hotel room. I smoked a whole lot of cannabis and I walked up to the road and I cheered on every person. So my hotel we stayed at was about three miles from the finish line, two and a half miles from the finish line. So I sat there and cheered every Ironman triathlete that year with a cowbell till the course closed. You had nothing to eat. I had just more liquid nutrition. I didn't eat anything solid till the next day. Then I woke up the next morning, drove five and a half hours back home to Rochester, New York, took a little nap, then went out that night and played soccer against my son and his team, who are a bunch of 12-year-olds. I've told the story before, so everybody who's heard it before, too bad, because <laughs> I love telling the story. So my son was on a travel team very young, had a good group of guys, worked together, the parents were great. So we had a parents' soccer game. Then the day I came back from the Ironman, I had a goal to assist, played center mid, talked mad smack to my son and all his friends on how someone could do an Ironman the day before, and the next day can whoop all their butts out because they thought they were good soccer players. I showed them what's up. Mm -hmm. I still show them what's up. Actually, my son's, uh, there's a couple sports he can beat me in. I will give him his accolades right now. On the, This is my whole family's going to be like, oh my God, Brian's going to admit someone's better than him in something. <laughs> so my son can beat me in soccer. He can beat me in tennis. Yes, I do sighing with this, yes. Wait, wait, wait. When Soccer have you ever tennis. played tennis? Oh, I can play tennis, but my son can play tennis better than me right now. Like, I officially haven't lost. I did. I lost two sets to him straight. He's be he officially has the title. Miniature golf, 
I think he thinks he's better than me. Maybe he focuses a little more than me, and I don't like to play as much as I used to, so I'll give him miniature golf. But that's it, folks. I'm 46, my son's 19, and it kills him that he can't beat me in basketball <laughs> and never will. Well, I don't now, know. Now, skiing, he would sit here. So when we have him on for Thanksgiving break, when he's on with Aaron, our white face manager, he, him and I will probably be debating, and I apologize to all of you right now, it will be a 10-minute argument on who's faster and a better skier. And it will be basically come down to Glades, he's better. Gates, he's better. But if we go straight down top to bottom, I can beat him. That's because I'm way more than him, but we won't talk about that that day. <laughs> so what else you got, Bob? Well, when you, when you got into this, when you got into getting the idea of going into the triathlon, did you realize some of the potential hazards of the whole thing? So when I moved to triathlons, the first time I thought about it, I was in a gazebo with... Ellen and Dave Boudelier, who is the owners of Fleet Feet here in Rochester, they were having a little clinic, and I didn't really know what it was other than I knew people did the three things together, and they were off, it was a clinic for the Finger Lakes Triathlon, which is, gonna be, which is held in Canada every year. It's a nice fundraising race as well. There's a lot of funds raised for some good charities. It's one of my favorite. That's where I celebrated my 10th anniversary of triathlons there. One of my favorite courses, it's in Canada where we have the open water swim where we practice on Friday, so it's one of my favorite places. So I w- while I was playing basketball, and in the summer, there's really no gyms to go play basketball, and I wasn't a member anywhere. So I would go to Cobbs Hill locally. So a little shout out, Cobbs Hill here in Rochester, very good place to play ball. It's usually one of the pickup places, but I my name for it used to be Bicker Hill because the problem is when you got a lot of people around one court, there's a lot of people that want to play, so you fight for winners. So when you're on, you fight for every call, so you're playing multiple games. Well, I would sit there and have to wait my turn in line, and I had no problems getting picked up because I hold my own pretty much anywhere I play ball. I would run laps around Cobbs Hill, new timing kind of the game, come down and play, and then I realized that I needed some other workout more as consistent because I play basketball winter long. It's my passion. So that I said, well, with my energy, I need to do something different. And that's why I gravitated to trying triathlons. And I wanted to become a better swimmer. I recognized the need for that. And I was already a very strong runner and naturally fast cyclist. So that's why I gravitated to the tries. And nothing about it intimidated you? The swim. Yeah. Big time. From what I'm reading about the swim, that is the craziest part of the whole what, so what did you read? Because I'll, I'll, I'm doing it for 17 years now. I'll, the what studies you read, that they're showing is that the beginning part of the triathlon, the swimming, more deaths have occurred during that period than the rest of the, the triathlon. And is it because of heart attacks? Yes. Yeah. That's because people are undertrained. Well, come and on. And the temperature of the water and the, and the open water The temperature of the water, definitely, I found that. Yeah. But you can't really say if they're undertrained. I mean, you, you weren't there. But my point is, if if you're trained very well, and uh, you're right, I, I apologize. Absolutely, could have been something the day before. Other things trigger it. You're right. I I was completely wrong with that statement. You're absolutely 100 right. It it has, has nothing to do with not being trained. It could be an element of it, but not in the beginning like that. It's probably other conditions. You're right. So swimming in general scares me because open water can be, you can train in flat open water, which is easier. But water and swims can be different. You generally will train flat open water because you're not on a rough day in Canada on a rainy day where maybe it's a little bit cool. You may skip going for a swim that day when probably you should go that day because that's the day you need to be on your game. So what I did was the first couple races, I was horrible. The best race I ever had at Finger Lakes, I actually basically had six buoys out and it was kind of a rectangle. I went well first buoy, second buoy, made a turn, went to the f- fifth buoy, then I had to go back to the third buoy, fourth buoy. That's how bad I got off kilter. So I realized I needed to work on swimming with my head up more. 
because I was very, I could, I, after four or five years, I was stronger as a swimmer, horrible as a manager of where I was going. So then I learned to look on the horizon to find a tree, something on the horizon that I would aim towards above past the buoy. That's the hardest part of open water swimming. Plus if it's shallow, learning how to dolphin dive. So I was very much worried about the swimming the most, but now I've developed where I, this, now I'm 18 years later now, now I can swim across Canisius Lake without heavy training, which is about a mile and a quarter to a mile and a half. And I can do that in about 45 minutes. So you didn't do swimming in high school, right? None at all. Yeah. So you're teaching yourself how to swim. Well, no, I got a coach eventually. Her name is Christina DeVries. She is the, uh, I'm so glad you brought this up because I haven't mentioned her yet. And she was another mentor of mine for swimming. So she, she actually got me so well where I teach swimming to new triathletes now through FIFA. I was, wow. I, I actually teach strokes and, and uh, just general basics, uh, helping to learn transitions, that kind of thing. This whole thing summers, you said there's two breaks, there's no breaks during triathlon. <laughs> yeah. So swimming goes into like a, where you transition to put all your bike gear on. You can spend as much time in that transitionary. So you can actually build in a rest for yourself. Same thing from the bike to the run. You take your bike clothes off to put run clothes on. Most people try and fly through that as quick as possible. Some people can really take that as breast time. So back to the swimming piece again. Swimming can be overwhelming. I truly believe people should swim open water regularly before a triathlon because my worst, one of my worst swim days was actually one of my Sodas Point triathlons. I have a picture coming out of the water with seaweed just littered on my legs, covered to the point where my finish line was still there. I learned that day I had to make sure I knew how to breathe out of both sides of my mouth because the waves were coming in from the west heavy. They were filled with seaweed and I had to keep turning my head one way. Luckily, that was my strong way that year. But that, after that race, I learned quickly. So now every time I go in the water, when I train, I go three strokes. One, two, three, because you are automatically breathing on both sides of your, of automatically by doing three strokes. A lot of people in triathlons do two strokes and breathe the same way every time. I learned early on I had to be smart because I could not control the conditions on race day because I'm that guy that I visualize the race when I get there, beginning to end, the whole course. I will not go to a race on race day without not knowing the whole course because I want to be able to sit there in my transition in the morning and I visualize the whole thing in my head. I visualize every transition and that's what I believe where my success has come because I'm already calm because I'm a cannabis. I'm not wired up. I don't have toxins in my body. I never was a heavy alcohol drinker. I never drank alcohol heavy before races. So I never had to worry about toxins heavy in my body. Never smoked cigarettes my whole life. Thanks to my dad smoking cigarettes in the bathroom every freaking morning when I woke up and it was the worst smell ever. So I have visceral reaction to cigarettes and smoking always have in my life actually got sick in a girl's mouth at 17 years old. Vicky, I cannot remember her last name, but I knew I didn't have toxins. So that helps you. Now, if there's people that are unhealthy going into the swim or they're, or they're a little overweight or they're not strong swimmers, the swim can definitely be the most difficult thing to get used to. Some of the things that I've learned that it's not always the, those people. There was this one woman who, who had done this for years on end with her best friend. And then she just goes into the water and it, it's the response time to save these people that is also contributing to the deaths or the higher number of deaths in swimming. And the reason why is guys, most times there's waves. There are a couple hundred people always out and you are counted in and counted out of the water, by the way. So every race, just so everybody knows safety involved, you are counted. Sprint triathlons are a little bit different. So let me just put this out there. Sprint triathlons are basically races that are under half mile swim, generally 10 to 15 mile bike ride, 10 to 20 mile bike ride, and then about a three mile run. That's sprint triathlons. Then you go up to Olympic, which is a set distance that are held in every Olympics, 
have been for a long time. And that distance is a 0.8 mile swim, maybe 0.85. And then it's a 20K bike and a 10K run. And then you go up to the half Ironman distance, which we described before, the 1.2 mile swim, the 56 mile bike, and the 13.1 run, and then the Ironman, which we mentioned ad nauseum so far. So those are the four basic distances of triathlon. So if you know you're interested in one and one distance suits you, I always recommend, I started with Olympic because I knew I had the energy to complete Olympic. I didn't want to do a sprint, but like I got more energy. So I did Olympic my first time. Not great, but but I finished. So I recommend sprints for people and I recommend to find your local triathlon club in your community because here rats in Rochester is phenomenal. If you're someone new who's never done a triathlon and you go start training with rats, you don't have to have to do the triathlon ever in your life, but you will be around people that will train different disciplines. Those people do yoga. Those people swim. They're swimming out of Braddock's Bay. Every city has a triathlon club. It is a great place to gather and meet and learn how to... Uh, how to do it right and get advice from people who are not going to look at you like, oh, you're a newbie? Like, that's not how the community works. Each segment of the triathlon, they all have their finishing time, right? You have to you have to qualify under each... Not qualify, because that's pre-going into a race, but, right, right. but but what we, what I can say is... Um, you have to, you have to finish by a certain time, so they have to close courses because you can't leave because the triathlon is such a long distance. You can't leave race courses open unlimited. You'd block traffic. You'd run. You know. You'd have to have a very consolidated type race course. And that's very rare to have a race course that's very consolidated where maybe you don't have to close it down because there's no traffic issues. So there's always set close downs in every race. So you can only, you got to be cut off at the swim after this amount of time. The bike, and if you don't hit it, they stop you. Oh, every race. I did not realize it was for the for the reason of organizing the the whole race. Yeah, and the course closures and safety. You right. know, you can't be having cops and uh, so let's say you have someone that does a sprint triathlon that never biked or run it ran before, but they're a great swimmer. And next thing you know, they could be out there seven hours because they got to basically they're on a, a tricycle and they walk the run. <laughs> there, That'd uh, be so unfair. There'd never be a scenario where someone has not tan uh gone into any part of those races biking or running yes, yes there is are you kidding me no there there's is. people out there who just know how to swim that would try it yep and there's people out there like me that have never swam before they do it that's the scarier part but you train because generally speak no i know i told you i didn't train before my first two years i never trained before a race the only time i swam was race day that is a legitimate true statement i did not train swimming before my first finger legs try maybe i swam a little bit in a pool but i did not do any formal like i did not so before that my first finger legs try I was a 0.85 mile swim i think the most i swam was a quarter mile in a pool before that like seriously that's not a lie the second year i was a little swam a little bit more but i did not swim the point eight distance again and sodas was a shorter distance so i at that point i had swam a half mile but it wasn't until i met christina devries where we went training so brighton high school girls uh swim coach she has brought the brighton high school program phenomenal like they're now you know entering girls in states and she's got the young girls working in programs and working with them she is one of the best girls swim coaches in this area i'm very fortunate she went to u of r as a swimmer and we became friends very quickly and her and her husband are, are good friends of mine now still and she's still one of the best swimmers and i beat her out of the water in iron man <laughs> <laughs> now she'll say but i beat you overall she will rub that in my face she did beat me in the iron man that year she passed me on the run on the 
just put it right out there. She's a better runner than me. I love her. She's beautiful. Great coach. But she taught me how to be a swim coach and how to teach others. And she taught me how to be a true swimmer. And basically what it took was programs where it's training, where it's you're doing 200 yards at this speed. You're doing 200 yards at this speed. You're doing 800 today at this speed. She would measure my mile out beginning of a season, end of the season. She really worked with me for two years. And after that, it just became natural. So many tangents today, Bob. Truly. It's a, it's a huge world. There's so many different facets that you can delve into. It's very complicated. It is. So where are you as far as your health at this point, Bob? So Bob and I have just reconnected uh, recently. So I'm curious My of what health. his lifestyle is with cannabis. And for everybody out there, we got to find out his cannabis story. So, so give us your cannabis story. Bob. My cannabis story. Well, I used to partake in quite a bit when I was younger. <laughs> um, I slowly uh, moved away from it when I started to enjoy hiking and backpacking. I realized something as I was actually going up uh, Blue Mountain in the Adirondacks that I was having a little bit more difficulty breathing as I got higher and higher up in the mountains, not just because of the lack of oxygen as you get higher in the elevation, it's really not that high. It's just because my lungs were not handling the smoke in, in the inhalation. So I, I eased off of that to the point where it just became fun, like at fish shows, you know, I, you're at a fish show. You got to, you got to partake. There's just, that's just the law. I think somewhere out there. Oh, it, well, it, it helps the experience, right? Cause you're dancing. You need something to keep you going. And since THC increases in your system when you're working out 15%, seems like a requirement in that environment. Well, I, I guess, but I've never really needed THC to dance. I'm always out there dancing like a fool. That's true. Yeah, he definitely he has no rhythm for the record. Oh, wow. Thanks. That's, that's sweet. Um, I try for, you know. For a white guy. He tries for a white guy. Oh, ooh, we went there. No, wow. But anyways. We have to describe you to everybody. How else are people going to know who you are? So Bob's about 6'3". No, 6'1". Okay, so 6'1", I would say 175, 180. Oh, that's nice. Considering the first thing that you said when I walked through the door... After you have not seen me in close to maybe 15 plus years, oh, Bob, you've gained weight. I'm like, wow. <laughs> he used to be skinny as a rail, folks. It was not I was. I was looking at some of my pictures today of the way back when. Yeah. I, I don't even believe that I had any fat on me at all. It's like, I can't believe I was that skinny. It was disgusting. <laughs> he was, he was, he was a skinny dude, like not muscular, skinny, like skinny, skinny. Yeah. Like, yeah. No yeah. meat. Mus the yeah. kind of skinny that when the wind blows, you kept going with it. Yes. So, yeah, I've put on a few pounds, and I'm all right with that. Um, uh, no, and, and, and Bob's in shape. I'm just really putting the picture for everybody out there because <laughs> this is what's this podcast about? The reason why we brought him on board is he wanted, to, he wanted to contribute. Bob is a researcher. He's a writer. He's a phenomenal photographer. We'll put some of his work and a link to his work up on our website soon. And, by the way, everybody, we have a website, site, athletics.com, a website, a website. <laughs> Athletics.com. It is out there now. Um, please check it out. Eventually, we're going to be able to. You'll be able to purchase apparel on there, sweatshirts, t-shirts. 
We are going to have some fun with it. We are going to put links. Anybody that helps us out with uh, anything as far as business owners, we're going to do links to them. And I'm going to put random videos that I produce on there as well, including a little promotional video, which I just had on Facebook. So please check out Hefletics.com. It will be growing, expanding. We also try to add links of things we mention on the podcast to help you get to certain studies. So you can sit in a room with your friends and tell them all why they should not give you an incredulous look when you bring up the word weed or marijuana, they shouldn't sit there and roll their eyes and go, "Ah, go get me a beer, honey. Stop talking about this weed stuff. Oh yeah, that beer. Let your dog go out in that field of hops, folks. That dog's going to get sick. Let that dog go into a field of cannabis. That dog is loving life. I will repeat that over and over again. I'm not going to judge. I love people who drink beer. I will hang out with you and I will not razz you for drinking it. But in this environment, we have to teach you, please, let's be healthy. Think about it. Yeah, getting away from smoking as much as I did, I still never, ever stopped doubting or believing that marijuana should be legal. There's no point in it. It's not. It's the whole stereotype of it, that that negative outlook that people wagging their finger saying, oh, no, you don't. You shouldn't be doing that. People need to get away from that concept. It's it's It grows. It's natural. It's not a a chemically induced product that could kill you if you use it right. It's just the, you need to get past all the negative stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So the jury's thought, let's get back to Iron Man. What other negatives or positives did you find in your research regarding the Iron Man on your body, Robert? What do you got for me? Just the stress that your body goes through because it's, from what I've read, it's sort of in the like when you're, how do they put it? Aging. It, it ages your body extremely, but you do gain that back, they said somehow. Um, it's the stressful harshness. Uh, how am I explaining this? So basically, I, I'm kind of pulling out of this is sometimes it's okay to push your body to extremes like fasting. Uh, if, if you read or Google, I've, lately I have fasting is that not necessarily a bad thing in your body. Fasting for a couple of days and just drinking water helps reset your body sometimes. So sometimes having your body to these extremes, I'm a firm believer that I did the Ironman once. I believe it changed me. I believe it changed the way I view energy. It, I view the way nutrition coming through my body, the way I view other people even on a daily basis. I don't, I judge a lot less after that race for some reason. And I think it's because I realize everybody's souls on this planet is for a different reason. So there's no reason to judge others. Just help the people be as healthy as they can. That's the way I want to look at things. Sounds like a spiritual thing. Oh, there's no doubt. Being at fish this weekend. So I spent four, I'm, I'm coming back from four days of fish in Las Vegas and I've known fish since, oh yeah, like I've known them personally. Actually, I, I would say I did kind of know them personally. The first time I saw them was 91, 92. I was at Colgate University. I was one of about five kids that came down from Oswego, and there was a snowstorm that night. Fish is a huge community where love and peace is definitely the, not the exception to the rule. That is the principle of everything everybody does in that environment. I met Fish, John Fishman's family and uh, members of their family at Colgate University here in 9192. Snowstorms so and none of the Burlington following really made it down. All the preppy Colgate students left to go to their frat parties after the first set. And I was fortunate enough to be in a room 
very intimate in a gymnasium with the band fish and members of the family of Fishman. And the night is fuzzy, and I hope sometime I can sit down with John Fishman and talk to him about that night so I can recollect all the moments that night because one of the memories I have is sitting against the gym wall, listening to him jam, going, I cannot believe I have no energy right now and I still want to dance. I think it was one, two in the morning. It finally ended. I, I can't, don't remember, but it was so intimate. I fell in love with that band that day. So I have I'm not that fish fan that could count shows. I'm not that fish fan that's going to really wonder what the next song they're going to play is. I'm that fish fan that when that music starts at that concert to the minute it ends, I am jamming to whatever note they want to put out of those beautiful instruments of theirs, whether it's the Electrolux vacuum that Fishman likes to pull out once in a while, which he did in Albany and in Las Vegas for me, which was so special because I watched that played by his family members in that gymnasium in Colgate University originally. It is such a, it is my church. I had spiritual experiences through the whole weekend. I met such incredible people from the security staff at the MGM Grand. I just want to shout out to them. I was Teen Wolf. If anybody wants to know what I look like, they could check my Facebook out, Brian Lane, Relentless Forward Progress Consulting. On my Instagram, brianlane.rfp. Please check it out. I have Teen Wolf and the MGM Grand Security was phenomenal, letting me in, making sure they checked I was safe. This question whether as made up as I was, whether they're going to let me in. They were so generous, let me in. The whole staff there was phenomenal for three or four days. I just want to give them total kudos. I think I hugged six or seven of staff members as I left. The police force, I think, knew me and was sick of talking to me by the end of the four days. But I'm going to tell you right now that that was a great venue. They take care of people. They hydrated everybody. But, Bob, I danced my face off. You were so, bouncing around the room. Bouncing, bouncing around the room. So one of my favorite memories of Bob Pye is a Hershey Park, Pennsylvania show that we went to one time. And one of my favorite songs is Run Like an Antelope. <laughs> yeah. And Fish played a really, really good concert at Hershey Park that year. Do you remember what year that was, Bob? 94, was it? I think it was a little later than that, wasn't it? I think I had my daughter already at that point. So anyways, it was a, it was a Hershey Park. We'll let Bob recollect. Uh, I don't remember the year because I told you I'm not that fish fan. There are fish fans out there that want to know every set song. Oh, yeah, the song, the song. I could care less. I've fallen asleep to music, to fish pretty much my whole life. Rift, especially the album Rift, that is my that is my jam. I have also written most of my stories to fish because that seems to be the most inspirational for me while I was writing to have in my background. As well as other bands, I have a very diverse love of music, but fish is always that one that puts me in the place that I need to be, whether it's sleep or productive. I don't know why it probably is that night in Colgate university, but Hershey park, when we had that trip together, Bob and I went down, we slept at a little camp ground on the side of the Susquehanna river. It, oh yeah. And on the way down and then we hit Hershey park and on the way back, I forget where we stayed, but that, that was a beautiful night. The sunset was beautiful around that. Just it was one of my coolest experiences ever with Bob, and that's why I'm sharing it because it was a, a, we used to enjoy fish together. We would go see them occasionally at different places. We went to Virginia Beach together, Hampton, I believe it was Hampton. We went together once on a trip. Um, so we've seen them in some various places, and they're very special, both of us. Get your impression of fish, the community, when was the last time you saw a concert? It's It's been a while. Uh, I've just had a lot of other things going on, and I, I'll, I'll never stop loving them. Uh, it, the community, the fish people... They're wonderful. They are just full of heart and soul. They're always so, I don't know, they just seem to look out for you. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are. They're just like a friend you've always had. And I've never had anything bad 
when I went to a concert. So one of the things I noticed this weekend was I knew the people that were only drinking alcohol. It was quite obvious every night. And didn't have any psychedelics in them. They stood out like a sore thumb in that environment. They couldn't hang and dance the whole time. They were the ones that were like really dragging at the end. But the people on... There's a lot of different psychedelics. So at most concerts, not just fish shows, so I'm going to put this out there. Most concerts will have this for drugs on site. Ecstasy, molly, shrooms, acid, coke, weed, nicotine, and alcohol. That's generally what's there. There might be, you know, I'm not going to mention any of the opioids and pills and shit because that's just stupid. I'm not going to mention any of this, but I'm sure many people are pill poppers too on top of it. But generally speaking, the ones that are just on those light psychedelics, and sometimes maybe that Molly X, that was bad. And I do not support any of that on a regular basis. I support weed and water. And I definitely will talk further about shrooms, how I've used them in my life and what I believe the, the good and bad of shrooms are. Uh, but I believe really wholly to make sure whatever you do, you're, you're have people around you watching out for you. But for whatever reason at a fish show, there is not guys that will sit there. If there's a girl that's struggling and she has too much psychedelics, didn't take in enough water, a lot of dehydration issues can happen at concerts with too much dancing and not enough water um, because the psychedelics can take that, that hydration from you. So, but in the fish community, I didn't see one person ever taken advantage of, not taken care of. If there was someone struggling, there was four or five people who were, seemed to be dancing, not paying attention to anything that were on that person in a heartbeat to help. I know I helped a couple people through the four days, not much because there wasn't much. And it really, the only people that I saw struggling were just dehydration issues, which, which was really good to see in that community and the positive nature of it. Um, so I'm definitely piggybacking Bob on that. But I would just want to say those four days there were incredible. And for those of you who don't like fish, if you want to hear something really cool, first of all, last year they had a baker's dozen, 13 shows in Madison Square Garden. How about this? Not one repeated song. What? 13 days? Four to five hours a night, not one same song. Yes, that's correct. Really correct. Yes, that's true. Like Train, I've seen them twice at Darien Lake, and I've only heard one song different from the two sets. Like, no variety. Fish are men. So the second set on Halloween every other year, they do usually cover uh, an album. So they, in the past, they covered the Beagles White album, Beatles White album. I believe they did a Santana album in the past. So they put out a playbill for an album from an obscure Swedish Norwegian band. And what they did is they tricked everybody. Not only what did they not cover a band's album, uh, the, a fictitious band that they made up. Basically, it was a full set of brand new music nobody had ever heard before created by Fish. That is what this band does. They basically played an album they've never, ever played before with a phenomenal set with a white themed, very simple, took most of the equipment off the stage, put these panels. If anybody wants to YouTube and see fish in a different light, please look at the second set Halloween 2018. Bob, have you looked at it yet? I have. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's beautiful, actually. All of them in, in sync like that. White. Yeah, White and the dress. lights, the bright lights, it all it all went together. I, I wish I was there to hear some of the music. Yeah, it was really nice. So it was a good, so I'm just putting out there that cannabis and water fueled me. I danced on cannabis and water from eight o'clock at night till midnight, except Halloween night, Fish actually plays till 1.30 in the morning because they play three full sets. They give us rest time in between the sets to let everybody recharge and hydrate, which is very nice of them. And then I would go from there down to the Brooklyn Bowl. Shout out to the Brooklyn Bowl in Las Vegas behind the Flamingo. Between the Flamingo and the Link, there's some great little eateries down there. Nice 
excellent open air street, very positive. We went to the Brooklyn Bowl, very safe environment to listen to the Disco Biscuits. I am definitely good. Disco Biscuits are now in my playlist. Phenomenal. And I would dance till 3.30 in the morning when they were shut down. And I got my dancing out of me to the point where I almost didn't dance a little bit on my way home, but I did. You danced on the plane? I was bobbing a little bit. Oh, that's good. That's because I was making my video. So I was bobbing my head as I was making my video. People were, I had my laptop on the middle seats for two of my flights. You can't sleep in the middle seats. So I had my laptop pop up, my iMovie open, and I was making my video on the planes coming back. Very nice. Yeah, fun stuff. So, <sighs> yeah, you deviated. Oh, it's okay. Just a little. Where are we going, Iron Man? What do we got? Uh, the jury's out? I don't know. I'm going to say, if we're, we're finalizing that, and keep talking about whatever. Yeah, we uh, are finalizing that. That's why I'm coming back to you. All right. <laughs> yeah, we're going full circle here, brother. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm going to say, you know, I like the idea of the smaller one. Uh, I've never done anything like this. I've never experienced anything like this. It's quite, quite the experience from what I've read about. But it kind of scares me with some of the statistics. I mean, I know... Th- 14 is not that many compared to the thousands. 14 what? Th- 14 deaths. Oh, you didn't list that statistic fully out before. So list oh. that statistic for me, please, for people. To make, put this in, and I'm going to put it in perspective for a lot of people alone in New York who do triathlons. So you can see, this is we're talking about here like a 0.00001% right now, but go ahead. Well, this, is, this was taken place from uh, 2006 <laughs> and 2008 out of 2000. 971 triathlons, 14 participants died. 13 of them... Wait a minute, so that was 3,000, almost 3,000 triathlons, correct? That is correct. That's average participation probably, let's say, of 500 people. Right. Okay. So so uh, I'll do the math on that while you continue. 14 participants died, 13 while swimming. Uh, that, that's what kind of like threw me How off. many triathlons was that, did we say? 2,971 between the years 2006 and 2008. I'm going to say an average of those, let's say an average of 500 people per. Okay. Some will, some will have 3,500 people, some will have 200 people. Uh, that is 1,485,500 people, and we're talking about 14, Bob. All right. Pulsar leaves more piece of mail than that in that number, and we still are considered very good. So I think I'm, I'm pointing out to Bob here is, yes, in everything in life we do, there is risk. Oh, but yeah. But 14 out of... One, one million four hundred eighty-five thousand people. Is this really an issue, or is this maybe just like anything else? There's going to be fourteen people that die doing anything. That's true. I mean, they they obviously put the stuff out there for a little scare tactics. No, I don't think it's scare tactics. But shouldn't we, we all know what can happen on the extremes, both extremes? Like, like that's the extreme where you die swimming, right? And then you got the extreme right. like me who enters it, and now I've changed my life. I don't continue to do Ironmans because I realize it's not good on my body, And but I've used that to propel my life in many different ways. Well, how has it not been good on your body? Has it deteriorated your muscles? Has it no, hurt I didn't your joints? Allow, no, I didn't allow it to get to that. That's why I only did one. I didn't do multiple. I, so I was thinking about doing one the next year. I did a, a 70.3. A 70.3. I haven't done more than a 70.3 since that Ironman because I'm being proactive. I didn't allow myself to get into that cycle. But there are people who do this yearly. So Dan, so Dan, I think is at 14 straight years of Ironman. So Dan, when we have him on a future episode here, our Kona champion finisher, we are going to talk to him about all the years he's been doing it. And we want to talk about the impact on him. He has celiacs and uh, he's gluten-free. 
and really has a managed diet all the time and still does Ironman regularly. And, and we're going to have him on a, on a future podcast uh, to talk about this further. But I think for now, I would have to agree, not agree, but my synopsis would be listening to you is I don't, I think doing an Ironman triathlon is not necessarily bad on your body. I think doing multiple in a row is not necessarily good on your body. Unless, of course, you have the time and energy and you can continually train continuously, then you're, you're really, your body is staying in that cycle all the time. And that's not necessarily a bad thing as long as you're eating right and fueling yourself well. But I do worry about the impact long-term on people's legs and joints, especially below the waist. Oh. Just from the running. Well, yeah. And the bicycling. There's got to be some kind of impact. What? On your... You can float. It floats. On your bicycle? Uh, we'll look up cyclist common injuries. We'll look that up in the future. But, you know, if everybody does what I do, add your CBD and THC, and you can do things like drive five hours in a car after a 13-mile race. Your legs don't get tight. You can take a nap. My legs still didn't get tight, guys. My legs did not get tight the day after I did my first ever Ironman. Does everybody hear this? And I played soccer, a full game against a bunch of 12-year-olds. This is a true story, folks. Cannabis and THC can help that recovery so you don't... The second day, I was tight from the Ironman. But that first day after, that cannabis helped so nicely. I was high the whole day, by the way. That whole five-hour ride from Placid, I was high. I was high before I went to sleep. I took a nap, woke up, got high, and went and played soccer. Yes, I was high playing soccer with 12-year-old kids and the adults, and nobody knew anything. True story. I believe you. You're crazy. Not crazy. I just know what I needed for my recovery. It was weed and water then. All right. Just didn't know it all. I thought, to be honest, everybody, I'm going to be very honest. I felt like, in general, weed was my one vice. I thought that with everything that I did, weed was the thing that allowed me to stay focused and channeled and disciplined through my life. And I believe, I used to think that, okay, that's my vice. I might die of cancer, lung cancer, because I'm smoking weed. That was in my head until about two years ago, when I, or three years ago, two and a half years ago, when I met Gino DiVasquale, and he started educating me further, which made me do my research further. He's the one who tripped me into this. What I've been doing is actually right. I've been smoking out of water all along. I, I knew not to smoke joints. I knew not to smoke pipes when I could avoid it. The only time I really did is on a ski slope. If it, friends were passing a joint or a blunt around, I really never took it because I never enjoyed it in the first place. So I always generally was better not knowing that I was better. It was just by accident. So my opinion is that I, I think time will tell I'm actually right. Luckily, because I didn't do it toxically. If I had a bunch of, if I was, listen, folks, if I tried to do all the same stuff and I was smoking out of blunts, I wouldn't have done all this because I would have had all that blunt paper building up in my freaking lungs and it would have been a negative impact on the stuff that I did cardio-wise. I did it through water. I was always pulling a lot of the matter out of that and just getting, obviously some matter still gets through the water through the lungs, but it was taking a lot out. I've had everything scanned. I'm clean. I thought it was my vice, and it turns out it's actually what's helped me do everything. That's good. That's what we're here for, folks. I hope everybody liked today. Matt Kelman, he works as a salesman for Pitney Bowes. He is phenomenal. If you see him in races, please say hello. He is absolutely friendly, approachable. You have questions about transitions. Mothers, Moms in Motion was mentioned earlier, and I forgot all about that organization, so I just want to put shout-outs to that. So Moms in Motion is an organization that emerged in the 2000s here in Rochester. There's still Moms in Motion shirts everywhere. They're like this pinkish 
I'm at Mims. They call them the Mims, and there's a couple of leaders of it, and they have regular training groups. They do such support for families uh, and kids, and and they really pool together to help, especially single mothers that want to be active. This is a great organization to be in because there's so much support. So I just want to put it out there. The Rochester Moms in Motion is seriously one of the best women's groups I have seen supporting the culture of raising families and staying fit. And I just want to um, piggyback that. I will make sure I hashtag that for this episode, but look up if you live in Rochester, Moms in Motion, they are phenomenal. Also, if you're looking to get in shape, let's not forget Badass by Sean, who on Wednesday nights has her open houses. Check out her sites. She just posted a picture with my shirt on today on Facebook, so I'm thanking Sean for that. She is so wonderful, so please support Sean. She was a couple episodes ago. She's the former Maryland police officer. So Robert J. Pye, as we wrap up here, please tell me what you think about your first episode being on the podcast with me uh the first wow it definitely took a little use to i'm still so green so green and i've got a a long way to go if i'm going to completely understand all this so podcast (laughs) one one for everybody (sighs) just kidding so podcast one one download the podcast when you're on wi-fi please subscribe look at the hempletics podcast hempfletics.com it will slowly be built up but there's definitely a couple cool videos on there right now check out our social media Brian Lane Facebook Relentless Forward Progress Consulting please support us in every way we want to make sure we get this message out if you're interested in being a guest please reach out to me through my messenger on Facebook I would love to put you on our rolls Bob is going to be here for a long time but here's the 101 of podcasting for you folks download it when you're on Wi-Fi That way you can listen to it anytime, not costing you data in your car. Laugh, smile, cry, take notes, whatever you need to do. Be annoyed with me. (laughs) Many people are for my incessant talking, but please download it on Wi-Fi. Once you have it downloaded, all the episodes doesn't take up too much money on your phone. It's only two hours per week. Listen to it at your leisure. 10, 15 minute segments if that's what you want. That way you don't use your data. You get to get the message and you can pass it out to everybody. Please pass out the message about the athletic podcast. We want to mentor, we want to teach, and we want to be shepherds. And if thing information is wrong, please pass it back. We want to make sure it's only good information we are having. Justin, you happy today, brother? Oh yeah, brother. I appreciate you. Always. Robert Pye, I appreciate you having you here and on my team. Oh, thanks. All right, guys. Episode nine is in the books. Have a wonderful week, folks. Good night.